What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week, joining me is Funny Car Chaos Racer, Daniel Butheris. Daniel, what's going on? Just living the dream, man. Yeah, it's, it, we're still at that point of the season where you can say that, right? It's not the point where you've ground yourself down where you're like, do I really still want to keep doing this? I, uh, I, I don't know that I've been doing it long enough to get to that point yet. I, uh, so long as I got pieces together, I'm always eager to get out and do it. And that's what's funny that a lot of us racers, we have that mindset. As long as it's running and there's an opportunity, it's like, let's just go, you know, just go. We're, 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 we're like gambling addicts, but we don't get nearly enough money out of the situation, right? Absolutely. Uh, what's a, And heard it again today. Uh, if you want to be a millionaire racing, you better start with $2 million. Yes, that it's that that is like that should be you know you can't avoid death and taxes and you can't afford not doing that. That should be like some of the, one of the rules of life, hands down. I think uh, Bernstein's cruise chief Armstrong once said, uh, "Racing's for people who uh, love work and hate money." Yes, and you hate your free time, and you want to spend the least amount of time as possible racing your vehicle that you spend piles of cash on. Absolutely. But, you know, it, it's you joke around all you want. But like I said, the second you get that opportunity and the, the second the uh, you get that signal to uh, to light light the engine up, it all melts away. Right. Uh, everything melts away. It's almost like you become one with the car. The world becomes right and nothing else matters. Yeah, it's I, I could have be having the worst week of my life. But the second I roll through the gates of any racetrack, Whatever happened on the outside of that racetrack doesn't matter anymore. I'm at a racetrack. Completely forget about it. Yep. Generally speaking, you're with the people you love doing what you love to do. And if you aren't having fun, you need to find something else. Yes. Uh, the, the announcer said it the best at the streetcar takeover when I was at the event at Indy. He said, how can you have a bad day at the racetrack? I'm like, you know what? That pretty much sums it up. Absolutely. <laughs> Even if you're putting a car back in the trailer that's been on fire, rolled over, or beat up, you know what? You still got the race. You can still go back racing eventually. Right. Well, and the thing is, is you're usually doing it with the people you love. So even, even when it's rough, you know, I can think of times where I was just devastated at a race. But, you know, later on, you know, I got the memories of being there with my dad, being there with my friends, uh, being being there with the people that understand so you know no matter what it's a good time and a good memory yeah i think that that definitely rings true i've been in that situation i've loaded wounded race cars back into the trailer that by the time you're done unpacking whatever went wrong you're coming up with a plan to make things right and you know you're when you're on the road, you're, you're starting to, you know, already planning ahead on what to do. And like you said, it's, it's spending time with your friends. I think that that's what I, I love the most about the sport is that's, that that's what you get to do. You're going to be amongst people you like being around and it makes it easy. It generally, generally speaking, we tend to be fairly like-minded. So, you know, and even if we aren't, we don't know any better, you know, we're all there for one reason, you know, you mentioned up front, no politics, no religion. Not often I talk about that stuff at the racetrack. And I think that's why everybody's happy. You know, our, uh, our grandparents are right. You don't talk about those things in polite society and you can have a heck of a good time. 
Exactly. Exactly. It's it's amazing what an engine fired in anger will cure, right? Absolutely. And the smell of nitro. Yes. Yeah. That's that's always fun too to see people get their first experience with uh, with nitro, and the reactions are always priceless. And you have the different tiers of people. Like I've been. I remember going to some, some races with my dad and he's standing there. This is back when they still did throttle laps. So he's standing there, not flinching, just drinking it in. I have to, at that point in my life, I still had enough hearing that I had to have my ears on and like some protection. We brought a friend with us that had never been to a nitro event and he was clearly shook by what was going on. It was so funny to see that level of a desertion between the three of us. So my wife, our first uh, trip together was actually to the 1998 Mile High Nationals. And uh, we went there for Sunday eliminations. And uh, we got there first thing in the morning. And the first car to fire up was Cruz Pedregan. And I had to bring Kelly straight to the, straight to the wire up to the pits. Uh, within about 30 seconds, she was slapping me and calling me names. But I was loving it. And she'll never forget it. But Hey, she was baptized. Yeah, you, you get that that baptism. Actually, Cruz Petragon was my first baptism shooting nitro cars trackside. And I thought I was prepared and ready. I've been going these my whole life. I've been in the stands. I'm ready to go. When he dropped the hammer in that car, I about bit the tip of my tongue off. Because it's one thing when you're in the stands or along the fence line. When you're about four feet from one of those cars and they drop the hammer, that's a different level of experience. It's like time stop, isn't it? Yes. I mean, as soon as as soon as it hits, there's that instant of quiet. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. You can feel it in your chest. And nothing's really moving, but the earth shaking, the air shaking. It's like time stops. It's the most incredible experience you can have. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I've I've shot a lot of stuff and nitro cars going by at full song. Like I've, I've been out as far as the NHRA let you go, and it's there, there's really honestly nothing like it. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Now you've raced a few different. I, I did, did a little bit of a Facebook creeping on you to kind of get some uh, some intel for this interview, and you've raced a few different looks like nostalgia blower style cars and whatnot. How did you get to that point of racing cars like that? Because we all have our stories, you know, different guys start out in different things, but how did you end up in a, in a, in a blown open cockpit at a nostalgia car? Well, the honest answer to that is dad. You know, I grew like you, I grew up around the racetrack. I grew up at KCIR, uh, gateway, the Midwest going to national events and, you know, dad racing pro gas, uh, when I uh, graduated from high school, uh, the opportunity for him to do the first, the Midwest 790 Association, uh, he had had is uh, altered that he had actually, when I was born, he was racing a degas Camaro. And my first trip to the racetrack, the trailer flipped over and flipped the car and destroyed the Camaro. Well, shortly after that, he bought a 48 Fiat from uh, a guy named Arv Alpicate out of Kentucky. And it had been an A-altered, a hemi-injected A-altered. And, you know, for years, Dad raced it with a carbureted big block and ran Progas and all that. Um, 
about the time I graduated, my uh, dad said he always wanted to have a blown car, and my uh, stepmom really encouraged that. So he built the blown car, and uh, the 790 Association was running, and he started running that with the Altered. And very shortly after, uh, the Outlaw Fuel Altered Association uh, started. So dad ran the Outlaw Fuel Altered Association for years, and you know, once he went to that, it was my first realization that, hey, you know, this is something I can do. This isn't just something I'm going to sit in the stands and watch and go drive my back bracket bomber. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but growing up and especially being at KCIR and all that and having, you know, all the HRA national events and seeing everybody in the world, you know, the first time I saw a funny car go by, and anything blown and heard that it was like, man, that's what I want to do. You know, if I could draw a funny car, if I could draw a dragster, if I could draw a blown altered and daydream about it and, you know, get out my hot wheels and put on my races, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, he really, uh, he really gave me the inspiration to think that it was something I could actually do. So that's what got me there. Um, it took a little while, but that's the that's the short of it. You know, it, it, it's funny that like I, I'm working my way up the ladder, like I'm building a turbo street car. But in the back of my mind, at some point, I need to have a roots or a screw blown vehicle in my life for the simple fact that to me, those sound like the nastiest vehicles on earth because a roots blower, you got like that uh, uh, kind of going on in the screw blower just sounds so incredibly angry. It wants to rip out your soul. And there's honestly, there's nothing cooler than those kind of noises. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, some would say maybe uh, building a turbo streetcar, you're at the pinnacle right now. I mean, that's, that's the thing right now. Right. Um, but I, I, I would, I would, I would agree. Um, I'm making changes now with my operation, but you know, there's nothing like that first experience firing up that car sitting in the seat and, you know, feeling the sway of the chassis from the torque torque it's making every time it pressurizes the engine. And, you know, it's quite the experience. Oh, I got to sit in a screw blown pro mod for a, a, a video I did for, for the magazine. And I will never forget the second Craig Sullivan let me hit that ignition button and that car fired up because literally everything was shaky. And it was just like, it's it, you staying on the outside of the car. It's one thing, but when you're inside the belly of the beast, it's so hard for people to understand. Like you, you feel the power in you and it's like, you just, you, you want to go fast. You either are terrified of it or you're like, so what do I need to do to make this thing go faster? Right. It, and you can tell the very first throttle whack, you can tell if somebody's going to make it or they're going to fall out. And, you know, I've seen people, when you whack the throttle, bump their head on the cage and say, get me out, shut it off. Uh, and then I've seen people that, well, when are you going to be done driving so I can take over for you? But it, it's it's certainly either in your blood or it's not. But I think everybody can appreciate the, the raw obnoxiousness that is a blown big block. It's like uh, top alcohol funny cars. That right there is like, that's a man's class. That is a, even some of the, like, you have to be an animal to drive one of those cars because you are clutching it, you're leaving it a gajillion RPM, and you are wrestling that car the entire 
length of the track. It wants to do everything but go straight. It's amazing. Yeah. If you don't get excited, uh, if you don't get excited with an alcohol car launching, you know, I know uh, a fuel injected nitro has taken over pretty much in the top alcohol dragster ranks, but still I will, uh, there won't be a day that I won't root for the blown alcohol car. That sound of them coming up on the clutch, the first whack, whomp, 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 and bringing it up to that seven, eight grand, some of them higher, and, and then just screaming to launch. If that doesn't get you excited, you're dead. Oh, it's and that, that's what I love about radial tire racing to a point where you start seeing guys put those engines of door cars. I'm like, this is amazing. You know, that's it's like you said, it's hard not to love a screw blown Hemi. It's just it's hard. Well. I, you know, I'm kind of stuck on the, uh, on the rats, but you know, I get it. And on the flip side of that, you have a, a big block, like a, a pro charger car running through Zimmies. It's still a blower car, but it's a different kind of angry. It's a, uh, it's like the, the, like the, the skinny guy angry that can really fight kind of angry. You know, it's, it, it's a different noise. Yes, sir. Now, you did the open cockpit cars for a while, and then going to a funny car is a pretty big change. What made you decide, hey, uh, let, let's you know, let's close the coffin and see what happens? So, I, I, it was uh, the opportunity just appeared. You know, I mentioned uh, growing up and seeing the funny cars, and you know, still to this day, uh, Hoover Showtime Corvette. When I think about funny car, that's the car I dream about owning. From, you know, the time I was five years old to now, uh, I, I think about that. But, uh, you know, I built the car as it exists. I built the chassis in 2007. I bought a Mark Williams kit. Um, and, and actually, my first race car, the guy I, I got the chassis from, uh, he was a welder. And I think he was more interested in building than actually finishing cars. But I bought the dragster from him. And it wasn't very exciting, so uh, I quickly sold it and uh, bought a Mark Williams funny car chassis kit. And, you know, just for where I was, ease of ease of racing and all that altered body was kind of the right way to go. Um, but uh, around 2016, John Dunn, Dunn & Gone Racing, posted a 1989 Lumina body on Facebook and said, hey, either somebody's going to get this body or I'm going to cut it in half and put it in a quick lube. And I messaged him and I said, man, I'd really like to have that body, but, you know, I can't make it all the way to your shop. And he said, well, my boy's going to California to go pick up a car. If you could meet him at Joplin, Missouri at one in the morning, and this is the same day, about three o'clock, I'm sitting at work. And he says, if you can meet him in Joplin, Missouri at one in the morning, and I'm in Wichita, Kansas, then he says, you can have it. So uh, I said, hey, wife, I'm uh, I'm driving to Joplin to go pick up a body. And I ran home with my uh, khakis, my button-up shirt, loaded up my trailer, headed, uh, headed uh, east out to Joplin about Three and a half, three and a half hours, three and a half, four hours to there. Met them about one in the morning. They unloaded the body into my trailer, and that was it. Um, it wasn't long after that, actually. Uh, Chris Graves started talking about having the first Funny Car Chaos, um, and I had it. Uh, I had the body set to the side, and I worked on it a little bit here and there, and. 
believe it or not, it was about a month before the first race that I decided I need to get working on mounting that body. So I, I treat it, I tend it, I, I can't tell you all the repairs I had to do that body because you can imagine at this point, this is what, 2016, it's a 1989 Lumina body. It's seen every form of uh, race rash that you can think of, blowers blowing up, uh, hitting the wall. I did all kinds of creative things to patch that thing up, but uh, within a month's period of time, I treat it, I tend it, I fix the body, and I made it to that first Funny Car Chaos race in uh, uh, September of 2017, I believe it was. Awesome. We will touch on that here in a little bit more in one second. I've got to hit up our uh, first sponsor of the day. It's uh, MSD, and we're going to talk about the MSD 600 CDI and coil from Pro Mod to Pro Street. MSD's Pro 600 capacitive discharge ignition is a game changer for cars making big power. Capable of providing eight individual coil outputs with up to a whopping 680 millijoules of energy, the Pro 600 is an excellent option for racers that previously could only use a magneto. Perfect for four, six, and eight cylinder cars with high cylinder pressure, power adders, nitromethane. The MSD Pro 600 CDI is recommended with ignition coil part number 8232. We'll take your engine program to the next level. Learn more at msd.com. Pro coils, magnetos, fun stuff to light off nitro, right? Yes. Uh, I'm very fond of my MSD products. Got a 44 amp Pro Mag. Uh, a grid uh, and have a couple other interesting things for my grid to add on here soon. And it, it's funny that I, I, I joke that the, the sponsors on this show are kid tested racer approved for the simple fact that a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the show, racers are the greatest R and D like research team on earth for companies, because we will find interesting ways to test and destroy products to make them better for the companies. I, I'm probably better than anybody in the world at breaking stuff. I promise you that. Yeah, it's it's funny when you when you call up one of these companies and you explain to them what you broke, and the engineer's like, "How did you do that? I don't know. It just happened. What can we do?" And, and you, you know, their little engineer minds thinking, "We got to figure out how to fix this because if this guy's doing it, other people are probably doing it." Absolutely. Now. We're, we're starting to hit on the uh, the funny car chaos there for a second. And, you know, it's become a very popular series amongst fans and racers. And I've very fortunate to get to start watching it on Flow Racing. This past weekend, they did, Chris put on that crazy nitro race. You know, with if it's got nitro, you can run in it. That was interesting to watch. What brought you into the, the funny car chaos full? What attracted you to it? Well, first off, it was a place to race and a place for me to race a funny car. Um, as I told you, it was a 1989 Lumina body that I got. And, and, you know, at the time, you know, you're pretty much in the Midwest. You're either racing uh, nostalgia pre, basically pre-1979 or you're racing top alcohol funny car. There wasn't really anywhere to race a, you know, uh 80s model you know even 90s model body anywhere um and chris initially floated the idea and a couple guys down in texas and i was like you know it's probably not for me i don't have enough to go do this um 
and they start talking about it and they're like, no, this is, this is a run what you brought. We're going to have a, a field and a B field. And, you know, the first time it was eight, eight cars and 16 cars, the eight car, a field and the 16 car B field was the first deal. And my dad said, uh, Hey, uh, if you can get this done, I'll pay your entry fee and I'll haul you down there and, you know, we'll go have a good time. And, you know, I'd got the body mounted and finished the weekend before we'd gone out to the track. I think I made one lap with a funny car body on and we headed down to Texas to go make that race. But, you know, the big deal is, is being able to, uh, uh, you know, bucket list, knock an item off that list is something that I always dreamed of doing, being able to go to a funny car race, pull up into the lanes, be strapped in the car, um, I tell you, there's nothing like this experience of being strapped in the car, front of the line, and listening to the national anthem play. It's like so much America, I can't hardly stand it, you know. And then go ahead, fire it up, you know, going through and hearing that experience. And, you know, I remember pulling into that first race at Denton. And, you know, I remember the first trailer on the right was uh, John Hale's One Bad Texan, uh, shortly followed by Blue Max, uh, shortly followed by Mr. Explosive, you know, the Invader, there were all these cars, the Crop Duster, Frank Frank and Deb Owsley's car. There's all these cars, um, top alcohol cars, fuel cars, you know, names, names that I knew. And I'm rolling into the pits and I got to race with these guys. Um, you, you know, uh, you hear the term fam girl the first time we rolled into the pits for Q1 and I'm rolling up past the Blue Max. I, I about lost my stuff, but. It was a heck of a deal. What was it like the first time, you know, talking about that, that you're getting through this experience and, you know, what was it like for you to have, you know, the engine starts and the body closes? I mean, what was that like? What you, Can you relive that moment? Do you remember it? I, I, I do. Um, you know, I, my car is a little bit unique. It's, well, it's a Chevy, uh, now it's a pedal clutch, but it still has an onboard starter. So I've never had the body drop down with it fired. It's always it's always been started with the body down. But I will tell you the first time with that body dropping down, it's it's kind of eerie because everything's kind of quiet. You know, everything's muffled. You don't really hear the noises like you do. You know, I'd race the altered body and blown altered with the zoomies pointing at my head. And, you know, I had to ear... I had to wear earplugs, but, you know, the body drops down, everything goes quiet, the world falls away, and, you know, in a way, it's almost like a coffin, you know, because the the side windows, they extend, you know, they extend forward of you, so it's not like you can look to your left and your right and look out the window, you know, you're looking at dark to the left of you, you're looking at dark to the right of you, and you have this small picture window out front, almost like a viewfinder. You remember your viewfinders that you'd flip when you were a kid? The view, vision is almost kind of like that. But then it fires up, and, and the body does kind of a rock on the chassis. And you see it vibrating, and, you know, it's it's almost like you become one with the car. You had mentioned sitting in that blown Pro Mod, and you feel everything. You know, you feel it going into forward. You feel, you know, the the engine start to tug the tires and roll. You feel every single bit of it. You know, I, I think, uh, 
driving by the seat of the pants is a very uh, very apt term because you definitely feel everything you're doing and the car the car really does tell you what it wants yeah especially i could imagine again with I almost want to try to drive a funny car. Notice I said try to drive a funny car just to feel that sensation because it's all the, you know, anybody from Ron Caps, Jeff Deal, any funny car driver I've talked to has said that it's it's a, like you have to feel this car, what it wants to do. It's not like a top fuel dragster where it's, it's a little more stable. A funny car is pretty much a multi-horsepower Bronco slash bull it's angry and on ice. Yes, but you know, I, I tell people when they think, I, and I don't, you know, I don't know if it's my animal brain taking over when the car is roaring and whatever, but the car almost tells you what to do. If you try to, if you try to over muscle that car, you're going to end up unhappy in a wall one way or another. But the car almost tells you what it wants you to do. I mean, it tells you, you know, when the rear end starts coming out, when it gets loose and the rear end starts coming around, it automatically wants to counter steer. And if you just let it, if you let it do what it wants to for a little bit, most of the time it'll carry you straight. So it's it's almost an art of trusting the car and and knowing when you need to be in the pedal and when you need to be out of the pedal. And it really tells you. Has has you if you had those uh kind of uh the, those pucker moments where the cars kind of reminded you who's in, who uh, who is in charge? I, I've had a couple of those. Uh, had one uh, had one at the last race where uh, I uh, flattened a perfectly good set of headers on a second round of qualifying. Oof. So absolutely. What's that sound like inside the car? Or can you hear? You know, honest, honestly, I didn't really know that I'd got the wall until I got in and got out of the got out of a car i knew it was close um you know the bad thing is is and i know i know dragsters can be the same way but usually they'll set the front wheels down pretty quick you know usually with my car for the first hundred feet if you really need to steer the car you better be out of the gas because you know the front tires aren't on the ground for you to be able to give it any input um but it's also unless you really get into the wall and in this case i got the headers with the wall but i kind of put a little love tap on the body barely touched the body and like i said i didn't really know i'd hit the wall until i got to the end and looked at the headers and thought oh that sucks yeah. <laughs> but oops, oops. <laughs> yep well what am i going to do now yeah yeah that's uh that, that, that's the situation sometimes you're in where you, you do something as a racer with some of these heads up cars and you got to kind of figure it out on the fly. And it's, it's funny standing track side. The reason I asked what it sounded like, because I've been track side and on some of the radio tire stuff, you know, they say what goes up must come down. And some of these guys that don't know how to pedal out of wheelies and those cars come down and like your knee, like your legs touching the wall and you can feel, feel it in the wall and they're like 50 yards down track i'm like i wonder to myself I'm like what did that sound like inside the car that had to sound like a car crash literally you know and honestly if i had an onboard camera i, I think the sound that it spit out would tell you something different than what i'm telling you but you know i i feel the car more than i hear it and 
I, I don't know. Like I said, everything, when that body goes down, it seems to go quiet. So I, I really didn't, really didn't hear it. Really didn't much feel it. Mostly, uh, mostly, uh, it just knew I was close to the wall and I needed to get away from it. So it seems like the quicker and faster you go, you, that your reactions and skills as a driver have to grow exponentially in a hurry. You know, I, I found that out of my own first hand. I could only imagine in a funny car or one of those, you know, a fuel altered, what it's like to have to uh, stay on top of your game in one of those. Well, I, I can only speak for myself in this, but I think a lot of it, a lot of it is instinct. You know, I'm sure I'm no different than anybody else. I, I've sat in the car in the garage for hours making passes in my mind, you know, not necessarily hours at one period of time, but, you know, I've made 10, 15 passes at a time in that car, you know, this, this, and this close my eyes. I know this is where the shifters are. This is where the buff buttons are, you know, almost to where you get it to a point where it's instinct. I, I think for, for me, if, if I were to have to think about really think about any of the things I were do, was doing while I was making the pass, uh, it wouldn't go so well. I, I think, instinct takes over while you're going it's kind of a survival mechanism i think you know what i mean your body reacts i know when the first time i really went fast you get that you know they talk about tunnel vision you know you can see everything narrow narrowing and after a couple passes you know you get to where you can start seeing uh start seeing markers on the track oh well there's the 300 foot cone there's this you know there's a 660 you know, the more passes you make, the slower it feels where you're going. But again, it's not like I can recall myself thinking, oh, but I guess I guess I got one exception to that. Um, back before the funny car days, uh, running the altered, I was uh, making licensing passes to get an advanced ET license. And about 300 foot air got up under my hel helmet and ripped it up in front of my eyes. Oh, and, you know, I, uh, I was thinking, oh man, this is going to hurt. This is it. And, you know, I, you know, I'm pedal clutch car, got a handbrake, got a handbrake and a steering wheel. So I, I had to, I had to think in that moment, oh wait, you can grab your helmet and pull it down. So I pulled my helmet down and, you know, I was right on the stripe and I think I took out a cone, but you know, and I went through the, I went through the stripe holding my helmet down and I think it was a 740 something at 170. Um, and when it came down, but still, uh, I, that's the only moment that I can think of where I really had to pause and think, Oh wait, it's not over. I got something I can do. I can pull my helmet down and, you know, drop the shoots and everything's okay. But I, I think when under most circumstances, even when the car is a little bit squirrely, instinct takes over more than just, you know, this is what's happening. I need to do something. It's funny. You talk about instinct and running through situations in your mind. I had a similar situation with my Nitra street car. Uh, there, there was a malfunction of some sort and the car immediately lost fire, went dead. The first thing I did was get to the left and I'm looking underneath the cow, I'm like, all right, am I Ricky Bobby on fire? That's like literally the first, you know, you, with nitrous cars, you honestly have to think about that. And that's like one of the things I've seen countless times of, you know, when, when, when there is no flame, there could be flame. So all at the same time, I'm trying to get the car over to the left, 
get it stopped, pop my belts, and pop the hood. And, like, hope that if there is something bad happening, that the track guys are going to be there in a hurry with the fire extinguisher. Right. And it, like I said, it comes down to instinct. You you think like you think about the situations, and it doesn't matter like how quick or fast you're going. You have to be situationally aware and be ready because that way, I think that's what saves and helps a lot of racers at every level. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I, I can't I can't can't underscore how enough how important it is to know the car you're in. You know, like I said, you know, in instance, you know, I have a helmet strap. My my helmet's never lifting up over my eyeballs again. But, you know, I knew where the brake was. I knew where the fuel shutoff was. I knew where the kill switch was. I knew where the fire bottle was. If it was fire and it was smoke, at least I would have known what to grab. I would have tried to keep it straight. And if I didn't hit, hit anything, I'd just be grabbing a handful of brake and trying to slow it down. Right. But, you know. I, I think for about anybody I can think of talking to about all of us that do this, really, we sit in our cars, we make laps, we think about what's going to happen. We uh, go through scenarios in our he head just so when that split second decision has to be made, what am I going to do? Right. Um, I've seen instances where, throttles is stuck you know are you going to pull the fuel or are you going to kill it um when i was at uh ennis as a matter of fact for the first funny car chaos race this year uh after q2 i got through the lights and all of a sudden the rpm started coming up and uh it started taking off and you know i, I went through that do i pull the fuel do i you know kill it what do i need to do and you know, in such case, I thought, you know, I'm just going to hit the kill switch because if I lean it out with it screening like this and I blow it up and catch it on fire, that's going to be worse. And in that case, it had sucked a gasket through the uh, the injector and the blower, and it was just sucking air in like it was full throttle. So, but you know, it's it's very important that you think about these things. What are you going to do? Because I I really think you thinking ahead, you know, adds to those instincts. It you know you just intuitively know this is what i need to do and if you don't practice it you're going to be in trouble especially at the speeds and as quick as what you're going that you necessarily don't have time to think you have to act on instinct it's almost muscle memory right absolutely absolutely and again like i said the car gives you a lot of feedback you know uh I every now and then, and I don't know how to describe it, but every now and then the car will uh, get to a point where it just doesn't want to steer. You know, you're, you're in there and you're trying to fight it when you're fighting that car and, and it doesn't want to come around. And so long as you're not hitting the wall, it's one of those things. You just got to let go and let the car do what it needs to do and let it settle down. But it, I, I can't. Yeah. Again, I can't underscore how important and enough it is to know your car and to pay attention to it. Live to fight another day, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you you don't want to have to visit your chassis guy. That's never a fun uh that's never a fun visit. It's like going to the regular doctor. I can't afford to visit the chassis guy. I gotta be able to do it myself and you know, so Hey, we had Jason Ling on the show and he talked about how they uh he, he was in a points chase and they, they took the car and they uh, used a four-wheeler 
and a uh in the winch in the in the trailer to pull it straight you know pull a core support out at the track you know you got to do what you got to do absolutely and you know uh more times than not you got to ho hope that you have good enough friends to you know or you've tra treated your friends good enough that they're willing to step in and help you out to that point yeah it, it's i i have the, this thing with racers that we have we don't have friends we have enablers we have people that just oh yeah that, that's a great idea you know and a lot of times it might not be the best idea but guess what you know your buddy bob convinced you to do it and by god guess what we're gonna do it yep they're, they're the first ones to tell you to send it ah it's fine send it yeah <laughs> and i have found a lot of times when, when i was a crew guy i had to be it's scary when i have to be the voice of reason i'm like let, let's take a step back here a second and let's let's just make sure we think about this because you know, I'm not going to be the one in the car, but you're the one in the car. And, you know, you're saying send it, you know, let, let's think about what could go wrong here, guys. Absolutely. And, you know, we've and I've for sure been in that situation, too. And, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've got home, pulled the pan and thought, thank God I didn't run one more time. You know, I mean, I think uh, I, I think. I think there's got to be somebody looking after most of us because, you know, you get in the heat of the moment. It's, it's, it's hard, you know, and I, I didn't really see what happened, but uh, uh, at the winter, uh, winter nationals this past weekend with uh, Mike Ashley, I had heard, and the gist I got is maybe that he had got overheated and wasn't feeling well and kind of got dizzy and he made the right call. He got out of that car and you know, there's a ton of people listen to this that have been experiences like that. That's hard to do when you're in eliminations, when, you know, the heat of the moment, and you got all these crew guys that have busted their butt making that decision to, hey, you know what, let's go back to the pits. Let's call it a day, have a beer, cool down, have a pop. There'll be another time to go fight. And, you know, that's a that's a that's a sign of a good, mature driver being able to do that. When you get to the point in your decision list, when you have to say, well, what's the worst that could happen? When you have to ask that question, that's your sign. Stop whatever you're doing. Just stop. Absolutely. That's, uh, <laughs> it, if, if it can happen, it will happen. Yeah. And I've seen that where I've seen the flip side of that point where someone hasn't taken that step back in a fast car hasn't said, well, what's the worst, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Oh, it'll be okay. It's all fun and games until you start putting ventilation holes and blocks and things like that. Then it's bad. It gets expensive real quick. Yes. And yeah. There, there's only so many times you can do that, that, uh, uh people are going to be understanding and, uh, and you can go home and look your wife in the face and say, honey, I blew it up again. I got to buy another motor. There's a, that's, that's a pretty bad feeling when you know how much time effort that you put into this and you knew you just threw it in the trash can. So now one of the cool things that I like about funny car chaos is the tracks that the series visits it's, it's throwbacks. It's tracks that I'm not going to say aren't bad. They're not bad tracks. They're just not, you know, your we'll say like a national event level track. What's it like for you to be able to go to these, you know, smaller venues, these old school fields and these tricky tracks, you know, that's gotta be fun because the fans always seem to love it. And that tricky surface has got to equalize things a little bit. Right. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been in been in three finals this year, and the I, other than really Wichita, Wichita, both uh, I really believe both in uh, well, especially in Amarillo and, and somewhat in Odessa. You know, that's played to my ability to be able to make a final, and, and you know, really played in my ability to be able to win a first race. Um, I uh, second round at Amarillo, I had Tim Boychuk. What's the chances with a blown, a roots blown alcohol Chevy that I'm going to take out Tim Boychuk and his nostalgia nitro funny car, right? Well, I left on him. He had to pull. I, I think uh, Twig Ziggler told me before we ran that he put the tune up in the car like he ran in the early 70s just to get it down the track. So he's doing everything he can to get down the track. I'm just uh, going with the mindset, you know what, I just need to go to A to B. And I, in this case, I got stuck in the left lane, which was really the, you know, was if you could say there was an undesirable lane at a track, this particular race, the left lane was pretty rough. I got stuck in the left lane. He had lane choice from first round by, I want to say a couple hundreds. And uh, so I left on him. I was going for the center line. I was right at the stripe. I didn't see him. I didn't hear him. Um, I ended up uh, outrunning him just barely. But, uh, and on no other track at no other time could I ever outrun those guys. Don't, you know, don't take it as I got some kind of monster fast car because that's just not the case. But, you know, at that track, I had the car that was capable of going down the track lap after lap. And it was really an equalizer for me. And, and you know, let's face it, it makes it fun. If we go to a track like, you know, uh, first race of the year, we went to Ennis. You know, there aren't many better tracks in the United States. I, I think it's fair to say, right? And, you know, I knew, especially with 70 cars there, there was very little chance I was going to qualify. You know, that was it wasn't going to be an issue of people not being able to go down the track because they had to figure out where to take the power out, right? You go to a track like Ennis and you put it all on the track on the starting line, in the middle and in the end, right? You go to a track like Amarillo and, you know, hey, maybe the starting line isn't bad, but from 60 to 100 foot, you know, there's a transition from the concrete to the asphalt that's a little tricky, so you got to control it there. And, you know, maybe there's some bumps at the half track that make the car want to get squirrely. And, you know, a guy like me that's, you know, bucks down and, you know, doesn't have everything in the world, it makes it fun because I can line up with anybody on any given pass and give them hell. So absolutely tracks make it wonderful. And I want to say, you know, you talked about the fans, you know, a lot of these tracks that we go to aren't necessarily real close to a national event venue. So, you know, we have a lot of awesome race fans that may not get to go to a national event, may not get to go to a, a throwdown at T-Town or an Armageddon or, you know, any one of these races. So, you know, if they're going to see a big race, if they're going to see a blown car, if they're going to see a nitro car, funny cut car chaos is that chance for that track to have it at that venue. And you want to talk about the most wonderful down to earth fans. I mean, one, they know they're racing and two, they are so appreciative 
you, you know, you almost want to go back every week to go hang out with these people. It just, I, honestly, we have the best fans in the world. And I think that it's what Chris has kind of grown with this series and having the A, B, and C fields. And it's, it's a show. That's like the, I had getting to see it on the live feed. I'm like thinking to myself, like, this is like an old school show. This is you pay the money to get in and you get to see, you're going to see something cool every round of racing, whether it's from the funny cars, the gassers, whatever is in there, it is a front to back show. Absolutely. And you know, one of the, uh, one of the most impressive things, and I told my, uh, I'd gone to a couple races with my dad before my current crew was able to ever go with one. And, you know, I told him ahead of time, you know, if Chris says we're going to run at this time, that's the time we're going to run. And, and, you know, I, I can tell you the exception for me has been with Chris is when he said, you know what, there's something come. We're going to run early. And matter of fact, I, I missed Q3 at Wichita because there was a potential of storms coming and, you know, dew setting in and it getting real dark at the track. So Chris said, you know what, we're going to start early. And, you know, I just wasn't able to get back in the track with the repairs I was making to make U3. And, you know, I, I think beginning to end, you know, he's pretty good about hitting those times and those schedules. And, you know, my dad always, you know, hit on the fact, you know, cars have got to go down the track to keep fans at the track, right? If you're sitting and you're waiting for cars to go down and they're not meeting those schedules and you figure, you know, you spent a hundred bucks to bring your family to this race. Right. And you don't run your finals until one in the morning. And that's, you know, they don't even get to see what they came for. And, you know, Chris pushes real hard to make sure that we are in the lanes, that we are suited up, that we are running so we can put on a show for those people that spent that money to allow us to do what we do. Cause you know, I, I tell all the people when they come to the track, track to tell me, thank you. So no, you don't understand. I get to do what I do because you paid for that ticket. That is, that is the only reason why there is a place for me to race. So, you know, I don't care what I'm doing. If a fan, you know, if somebody comes by, asks for an autograph or they have a question, I've been under the car with oil dripping all over my face. I get out from under that car and I go talk to that fan because again, if, if they aren't willing to pay for a ticket, nobody's going to book us to race and I got nowhere to go. And I think more racers and more sanctioning bodies and promoters need to understand that, that you're putting on a show for the fans. They go there and have a good time. They're going to tell people. And then guess what? When that track releases that schedule next year, they see funny car chaos. It's not a negative thing. It pops in my like, man, I had a great time there last year. Guess what? We're going again and we're going to go for two days this time. That's how you build that stuff, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I have, uh, we have people that travel from race to race all over the place. And, you know, I, I just can assume that, you know, Brian, Brian and Nitro Kevin Hoffsmith, they go all over the place. They are there. They are appreciative. You know, they, they, they make me want to do what I get to do because, you know, they travel all over to see what we do, uh, you know, we have super fans. Chris calls them super fans that, uh, you know, they step up to help us with our purses so we can add fields so more cars can race. It, it's just amazing the fans that we have. And I think it's it all comes down to what Chris made and what Chris drives. 
do big burnouts, do dry hops, have a backup girl or guy, have handouts and shirts, throw them to the crowd, engage them, uh, realize that you're entertainers. You're not race car drivers. You're entertainers. That's what we are. We're there to entertain. And because we get to entertain, we get to do the things we love. But, you know, it's it's so important. Totally. Now, before we uh, kick the show into high gear, I got to thank our last sponsor, JE Pistons. And racers building big block Chevy engines with their newest generation 20-degree valve angle cylinder head can rely on JE's new 20-degree series pistons to get a custom feature off the sh- with off-the-shelf convenience. They're available both naturally aspirated nitrous oxide applications to a variety of bore spaces. To learn more about them, head over to JEPistons.com. Big block Chevy stuff, the good stuff, right? Right, and I have JE Pistons in my car. There you go, another kid-tested, mother-approved part, right? Yeah, so, you know, I built this motor, and about that time, JE came out with their shelf uh, uh, big dome, big block Chevy blower pistons. And as soon as I saw that, I knew that's what I had to have, so that's what I run in my car. I call them up, I tell them I want the part number, they send it to me, and I go run. And they're good parts it's nice to have uh exotic stuff cutting edge stuff is neat but it's also nice to be able to go to summit's website type in a a part number and it's there today absolutely especially it's even it's even nicer when you can go to an auto parts store and say i need this for a big block chevy and you can give now of course they got to know what year what car what trim package and all that before they'll even help you out. But at least I can go. And if I really needed to get by, I could get a gasket from O'Reilly's for my car. You know, you just mess with them and say, yes, my funny car is four wheel drive. Just get me the gasket. Right. Right. Now, where do you see the future of nostalgia racing and, you know, stuff like the, uh, you know, the funny car chaos and these other nostalgia things going, you know, it's been, honestly, it's been pretty popular and, you know, maybe growing slower in popularity, but do you think it's going to keep on that track, you know, with the March meet and all that stuff? Well, I think the March meet offers something most other places don't. And, you know, I've I've not ever been, my dad's been, I have a lot of friends that have been, and I watch every live feed I can. But it's one of those races that has a lot of cars of yesteryear you know, without the electronics, without the traction control, without all those things that, you know, you get to, you're as close to getting to hear and see what it sounded like back then. You know, obviously we're not roasting the tires from the starting line through the quarter mile, at least not on purpose. Yeah. But, but, you know, that, uh, single, single mag, uh, 392 or 427 uh, i think there is nothing nastier sounding than a nitro chevy i don't care what you have to say about anything else but i I think about the hilton's car i think about ray stringer's car or you know tim hay rest his soul but man there is nothing like the sound of a nitro chevy and you can't go see it anywhere else than a place like the chaos or a march meet so I, i think it offers it offers the fans a chance to see something that they're not going to go see at a national event, that they're not going to go see at a PDRA race. Or, you know, there's there's some unique things that kind of bring back those emotions that a lot of us felt, you know, growing up and seeing all that. 
I, I think I think it'll be around for a while. I think uh, it, it's challenged by technology and kids today. You know, I uh, I spend as much time trying to describe to people and help them understand how you know our car works, how mechanical fuel injection works. When you know you talk about this stuff to a bunch of tuners, to EFI guys that are using a computer to read, you know, EGTs and airflow and all that kind of stuff cylinder pressures to tune the car for you when i tell them well basically this is a ball valve and it's either on or off and i have a bunch of poppet springs with little pills that go off at certain pressures that allow pills to bypass you know and you're describing all this stuff and they're flabbergasted that this even works well that's just some kind of magic you know so i i think there's opportunities for people to experience new things they haven't. And, you know, I've never had anybody walk away and say, man, that's boring. But, you know, I think with technology and you'd mentioned turbos and, you know, we talk about the electric cars that they're pushing in. A lot of this stuff of yesterday, you know, we talk about things that are hard to relate carbureted cars and all that are kind of hard for kids to relate with these days. So that's a struggle for us. So that goes back to putting on a show. If we can put on a great show, we can keep people coming. And that's going to, what's going to keep us going. Well, you guys got a turbo funny car, funny car chaos, you know, so have that's, it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, I'm not surprised someone hasn't done it sooner, but it was a, it was what Ohio George. I think I did a story on that car that turbo car he had, you know, decades ago, when I saw that up at Detroit Autorama, I'm like, thinking back, I'm like, when he built this car, this had to be like voodoo black magic to all these old school guys to see that. Absolutely. And you think uh, Adams and Incarez, the Hellborn uh, turbo car, um, you, you know, there were several people that tried it. And, you know, I actually, I was talking to Frank Parks last week. And, you know, I'd mentioned I'm actually working on converting my car to twin turbos. But, uh, uh, and, you know, I'll get to the reason why, but, you know, it's going to be mechanical fuel injected just because that's what I know and that's what I love. And and it's going to be a pedal clutch. And everybody says, well, that won't work. And, you know, Frank Parks, I don't know if you know this, but Frank Parks ran a twin turbo, uh, twin turbo top alcohol dragster back in the, late 70s that. early 80s and the struggle was is either it didn't have any power or it had too much power and you couldn't put it down and, and you know frank's first was well you know it's awful hard i'll be you're going to struggle to make that work and you know this gives me an opportunity to plug one of your sponsors but you know i run a 44 amp mag and i run a grid well you know the boost control modules you know, that boost control and that timing control that we have today were things that they didn't have in the past that allow these things to work. And, and you know, as well, how are you going to make it spool? You know, it's not like I have just the wastegate with the single spring and that is what it is. You know, we got dome pressure with CO2 these days, so you can get it to spool early and you can control that, pre you can control that boost down the track incrementally all the way down. You can't do that with a blower. Um, you know, my reason and my dad, you know, every year the cars get faster than what we do, right? And we have some pretty stout alcohol cars. We have pretty stout fuel cars show up. Hell, you know, Worsham showed up. 
and you know he was running 320s, 3 319s, uh, you know, up until the very last pass. So we got stout cars that show up, and here I am with an iron block, uh, cast head, waterhead, you know, basically super comp motor with a 1471 helix on it, and my dad's asking me, you know, everybody's going quicker. How are you can compete? You're either going to have to step up to a Hemi or and all this stuff, or you're going to have to hang it up. And I'm like, my game ain't over yet. You know, I've wanted to do the turbo thing for a long time, running the nostalgia stuff. They wouldn't allow it. But, you know, I tell everybody, you know, the big advantage is, is, you know, it takes a lot of power to turn that blower. You know, I'm spending that blower 55% on my car. It's, not the greatest blower in the world, but it's decent. But to make the boost that I'm making, I'm spending that 55%. It's taking a ton of power to do that. Yep. I can run the same boost and not be pulling all that power away from the crank and be throwing it to the rear tires. And I think I can make my Chevy pretty scary for some of those uh, some of those cars out there. So that's my goal for the end of this year and next year. Well, look at it this way you know, big block twin turbo pro mods in the NHRA before they started putting handcuffs on them, they were going pretty fast. So, you know, you look at it that way and it's always, uh, it's always funny when when you, when you, you know, I I call it dreaming up stuff when you, when you drive in places and whatnot. And it's always interesting to think about. I always go back to what would happen if I took X combination and put it in a dragster or a funny car because you have practically no weight to it. You have a lot of advantages to it. And I think it'll be interesting to see what you can do with that as you learn how to uh, apply the power, because that, that's the big thing with, with turbos is once you get that power management down, there, there's a lot to unlock there. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, everybody says, well, mechanical fuel injection pedal clutch, you know, how are you going to do that? Who's out there that's doing it? And I don't, I'm, going to assume you know the name Jed Kaufman you know Jed Kaufman and over in Australia a guy named Ash Hamlin he's running uh, mechanical injection automatic but you know Judd runs a three-speed uh, and a 481x twin turbo three-speed B&J pedal clutch and that thing's deadly quick it wins a lot of races so I think there's some people to lean on out there you know that can help me with this learning curve that you know can make it interesting for me next year. I, I think that's going to be pretty wild to see. And, you know, the, 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 the questions that I ask sometimes, I always like to end on a note where I, uh, I throw something fun at my guests. You know, I, I've, I've got many mystical powers on the show. I have a time machine, an unlimited bank account. I've made people rulers of drag racing. For you, Daniel, I'm going to give you an interesting scenario here. You can pull any classic funny car from history and race it in modern times. Any, anytime, anywhere, which car are you going to pluck from the timeline of drag racing history to race? And why are you going to choose that car? Well, I already pulled it up. It's uh, going to be the blue, you know, a lot of people's favorites, the white version of the Showtime, which was a 77, 78. Uh, my favorite has always been the blue, uh, blue fade paint job Showtime Camaro or Corvette of uh, Tom Hoover. And, if I could have that car today, I, I would. I, I think my wife uh, would struggle to get me out of the garage. Just sit there and stare at it and go, that's mine. Yes, absolutely. It, it's funny. You know, I, I built my hero card wall of fame back here. 
and I remember when I was going through all of my uh, my my hero cards, I had a couple of Tom Hoovers, but his were always a little bit different sized, so they wouldn't fit my frames to fit the pattern I was going to lay out. And I'm pretty sure I had might have been one of his black cars, but I I, I remember because you flip it on the back and you know. Tom had that beard and the haircut. He looked more like a high school algebra teacher than a nitro funny car driver. Absolutely. He was, he was too classy for us. And so were his cars, man. They were all beautiful. Yeah. You see some of these guys, it's always funny. You know, I always joke, you know, Doug Coletta looks like my accountant. He doesn't look like somebody that would drive a nitro car. Absolutely. And, you know, I work, uh, I, I'm, uh, I work at Cessna Aircraft, uh, uh, manufacturing engineer by degree. Did that a lot of times, and for you did that for years before what I do now here. But uh, I, I can't tell how many people when I tell them, well, "What are you going to do this weekend?" I'm going to race. Oh, what kind of racing are you doing? You going to ride a bike or something like that? No, I got a funny car. I got to go hop in. You do what? Yeah. And you, you know, I uh, I remember and be make this as quick as I can throw back. But when I was a kid going to school, uh, somebody was asking me what my dad did, you know, cause I always talked about going to the races with my dad. And I said, well, my dad works at Cessna and he's like, well, he can't work at Cessna and build a, and race cars too. And, and you know, explaining to him back then, you know, it, it's kind of like our alter egos, you know, on weekends we jump into the phone book booth, change our clothes. And all of a sudden we're Superman. But, you know, I, I think most of the most of the people that do this, unless unless they know outright, they would never suspect what we do on our weekends off. When I used to work back in the day in, you know, corporate professional America, that was definitely the case that a lot of people would ask a lot of questions. They thought I wore a black leather jacket, you know, and they, they thought I was friends with Big Chief. And, you know, I'd explain them kind of what I do. Which, you know, at least they knew. But nowadays, I pretty much I associate nothing, with nothing but degenerate racers. So, you know, it, it works out better that way. I don't have to explain myself nearly as much. Oh, well, you know, that, that would make it a whole lot more fun. Yeah, it, it's funny is nowadays, you know, I've got pictures with some of the guys from Street Outlaws. I hang out with them. And it's when, when you're in the industry, you're at the track and you're like, oh, it takes me a minute sometimes to realize that I used to be the person on the other side of the rope. And now I'm in these guys' pits talking with them as my job. And it's, it's kind of weird. Sometimes I still haven't fully adjusted to it after doing it for so long. I'm sorry. Right? I never, I, I, I roll in, I roll into a funny car chaos race with my uh, quarter ton Dodge truck, my 24 foot tag trailer, pull it in a funny car I roll into the gate and the gate asks me, well, what class are you running? And I say funny car. And I say, and they say, no, really, what class are you running? So I, I get past that. I roll in and I, I see these semis. And again, like I said, you see names in the trailer like Blue Max or, you know, hit, hit her top alcohol cars, hit her fuel cars, Dale Worsham's trailer. And, and I pinch my, I'm really here to go race with these guys. So I, I fully understand that notion. And the thing you got to remember is trailers don't win races. You know, no, they don't. It's I've been on a team where we didn't have the most fancy tow rig. We didn't pull in with, you know, a big stacker or anything like that. You know, we didn't have a lot of the fancy stuff, but guess what? 
we went out there and cracked a lot of skulls because we worked hard and did what we had to do. I work hard and I get lucky a lot. Yeah, that's too, you know, I, I learned this phrase in wrestling in high school. I'd rather be lucky than good because lucky has a better chance of beating good more often than not, right? Well, I, I think uh, for us, and you know, you'd mentioned last last go back on Funny Car Chaos. You know, one of the things is that makes uh, guys like me successful is nine times out of ten, we're going to go down the track. And, you, you know, that's our advantage. Nine times out of ten, I'm going to go down the track, and I'm going to make you make a pass. If you screw up, I'm going to kick your tail. If you don't go down the track, I'm going to go down the track. It's, you know, that's how I'm going to survive in this world. And if you went out there and talked to most smart racers, you, do you want to set a record and maybe have an issue the next pass? Or do you want a consistent car that goes A to B? The smart racer is going to go, give me A to B. Because that's the person, honestly, that it doesn't matter if you have the faster car. That's the one you got to watch out for. Because if you do make any kind of slip up, guess who's going to drive right on past you, giving you the queen's wave and having a good time? I will say, you know, Ken Singleton and Kurt Williams, those cars flat out fly. But they're uh, A to B every time. And you, you want to talk about two badass, excuse me, two bad scary cars. And uh, the world of funny car chaos, you know, I walked into Ken's trailer at Odessa and he turned around and it was the first time after we ran. And I said, I just wanted to congratulate you on finally kicking my tail. We got that over with. So let's never run again. <laughs> and uh, he turns around and he looks at me and he says, man, I'm just struggling. I'm having a hard time. And I'm like, you know, this guy goes to any track in the world and he runs the same number everybody else is struggling and i told him i said ken you you you've spent this whole deal on funny car chaos making a living out of making us look silly just do what you do and i i can't tell you how impressed i am him and kurt williams both man they go down the track doesn't matter the track they're screaming they're flying they're putting on a show and i i can't help but appreciate what they do it's always fun when you get to race with guys like that because it makes you better because you always have, you know, we used to always joke on the laptop. There were certain guys we knew if we had to race them, uh, we had, you know, we had the Jason Lee tune up that we'd have to pull that from the back file. We're going to have to turn this car up more than we typically do because we know he's faster. We're going to have to, to throw our, our, our biggest haymaker at him. Unfortunately, I'm throwing my haymaker every pass. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, you got some wins you made in the finals. That's all that counts, right? It, it, I, working for you. It, it is working for me. I think, uh, I, I think I've think uh, i finally uh, – I've bled enough finally maybe to win a round or two. Well, Daniel, our time here is coming to the end on the show, and I like to give my uh, guests their opportunity to, you know, pull off the old John Force and thank all their sponsors and – tell people where to learn more about the racing operation. So uh, I'm going to turn the floor of you, my friend, so you can thank who you need to thank, tell people where to find you on social media, what you got going on. So uh, it's all you. So first off, I got to start with my uh, dad, Tom Butheris. I got to thank him for all the time as a kid. He spent in the garage with me, teaching me, uh, teaching me how to work on a car, how to maintain a car, how to do things myself. Um, Next, I got to go with uh, crew guy Lee Sisk. Um, that man is over at my shop whenever I need help. If 
I tell him that I'm going somewhere. Or I need something picked up. He goes, he's at my shop, uh, sweating his tail off till late at night. Uh, followed by, uh, Lee or excuse me, uh, Billy and Billy and Tracy, uh, souls at a uh, Wellington, uh, Kansas and traveling smoke barbecue. Um, they helped me out after I destroyed a funny car body and helped me get going again. Um, they support me in any way I can. Uh, they show up to the races. They're great crew. They're great people and have great barbecue. Um, and, and this year, uh, I gotta, I, I gotta bring up, uh, the sponsors of funny car chaos. You know, you go to an NHRA national event and there's flags on the wall that says MSD, it says whoever. And, you know, they have great support networks and they do a lot of things that allow them to keep going. But you go to a Funny Car Chaos race, we have a Fred Spell Spell Paving, we have a Ed Wolf Wolf Pumps, we have a Mears Mazda Volvo, uh, countless others, uh, Redline Shirt Club. But these guys are there and they're there helping us. You know, I've blown up parts, hurt parts. Uh, Ed Wolf and, you know, Fred Spell, they're searching all over the place, trying to find me parts, keep me going racing, encouraging me, calling me through the week, making sure I'm okay, making sure I have the things I need to keep racing. So I I just want to, you know, I know there's a lot of chaos sponsors that I haven't touched on, but, you know, I just want to tell you, how unique and wonderful it is an opportunity to get to do what I do racing in the series I race. Uh, so um, God bless them and thank them very much. And I think people, if you want to really support the series, like you said, go to funnycarchaos.com, like those sponsors pages, tell them how much you appreciate it. Cause that is that, that will encourage them when Chris comes knocking on their door for 2022 for them to sign on the dotted line again. Uh, you know, it shows a return on investment. Absolutely. And, you know, we are in those places because those guys show up and lay down that money. Uh, bottom line. Well, I've got to thank my sponsors of the show, Performance Distributors, Airflow Research, Pro Charger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Elderbrock, Fuel Air Spark Technology, Manly, J.E. Pistons and Dart, they all give me the opportunity to come on here and talk to racers like Daniel. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to make it to a chaos event and uh, come look you up sometime and have some of that barbecue from your sponsor. You better show up to Mocan. I'm going to try. I've I've got the different dates circled on there. I'm trying. Well, I'm just going to tell you, if if you want to experience, if you want to throw back, you got to go to Mocan. I am going to try like hell to make it to that event and any of the funny car chaos stuff, but that one in particular, I've heard, I'm, I'm going to try to make it to that one. All right. Appreciate you coming on the show. And we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me.